This is Todd Foley, creator of Day Trippers and Other Borders. You're listening to Legends of Tabletop. Hey everybody, this is John. And this is Vince. And you're listening to Legends of Tabletop. Creating legends one die at a time. Good evening everybody, or whenever you happen to be listening to this. This is the Legends of Tabletop podcast. We're happy to have uh, Todd back on again. Todd was back, oh, I think he was like episode 13 originally when we talked about Day Tripper. So welcome back, Todd. Thank you. It was, a, it was quite, a, quite a, what, over a year ago, I think. Uh, yeah, I believe so. It's, it's been a little while. So how you been doing? Uh, it's good to be back and I've, I've been doing pretty good. It's two, 2016 is over. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God for that. Right. You know, we, we made it through that and, uh, we're, we're rocking into 2017 now. Actually, I've, uh, I, I've just started six new Patreons. That's, that was my 2017 bold business maneuver. Holy cow. Yeah, I had one Patreon before, but the difficulty there was I didn't find that Patreon is a very sociable place. You know, it's not a lot, a lot of talk going on, not a lot of feedback going on. And I had sort of lumped everything I was doing together into one banner, as if productions, you know, support as if productions. Well, support me and all the creative shit that I do. Right. Um, but that didn't really give people a chance to let's say vote with their dollar for whatever their own particular favorite game or line or product is. And so that's what I've done is I've just broken them all out so that if you want to support day trippers, you can, you know, your, your dollar will go to day trippers. Sure. That makes sense. You you do have a ton of different things going on over there on the webpage. So uh, I'm, I'm not too surprised with so many different Patreons, I guess. <laughs> I'm trying to be democratic. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it is. Let people vote with their dollars. Exactly. I think you can actually find them all from there. So, it, I mean, if you go to uh, com, right at the top, you'll see the link to patreon.com slash as if, and all the other Patreons are linked from there. Nice. So and if, you, if you'd like to support the weird work that I do, and, 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 and I deliberately – pursue weird stuff i mean day trippers it's not enough for me to do science fiction i have to do surreal science fiction right and as you'll find out tonight in in other borders you know it's not enough for me to do gangland noir modern day no i gotta throw magic in there mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that's the kind of weird stuff that i like to do and i could always use more support Cool. And uh, links for all that stuff will be in the show notes. So uh, you guys can all check that out on the webpage. So I, the only thing, well, so if you're watching this video on YouTube, obviously we don't have any video going tonight. My, uh, my laptop took a shit. Uh, so that, that is fantastic. That's not cool. Uh, Vince caught the holiday bug that, that, you know, crunchy the only time you get it is this time of the year when you're visiting relatives and all that so uh he's a little bit under the weather so uh flying solo with todd tonight and i hope you bear with us through that um cool thing i have going on is i've received my 
Dice of Crowns game from Kickstarter from Thing 12 Games. They're out in the wild now. So if you've backed that or read our review uh, way back when, you can uh, expect to see those soon. It looks fantastic. So uh, kudos to those guys. But that's not why you're here. You're here uh, to listen to us talk to Todd or listen to me talk to Todd. Uh, so uh, you've got a new game out called Other Borders. You want to give us a little bit of background on this? Well, uh, Other Borders is, first off, it's a drama system game. And uh, as you know, drama system, you might be familiar with uh, Hill Folk uh, or with Melandro Caesar. These are games based on drama system, which is by Robin Laws. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, a, it's a very, uh, let's say, uh, I'm going to go ahead and use the N-word, narrativist, it's a very narrativist kind of approach to, uh, to a role-playing uh, tabletop setting that's truly brilliant at bringing out what you might consider ensemble drama, very, very genre sim, right? So it's good for doing soap opera type stuff, television drama type stuff, uh, movies with a lot of dialogue and emotion. Uh, the whole system is based on milking the relationships between the characters out in the most dramatic ways possible. And so it seemed like uh, a really interesting system to use when I was first approached by Tom McGreenery, who wrote Melandros, uh, to do an expansion for his Kickstarter. Um, this was just sort of an area I wanted to go. I thought about drama system a little bit, and Tom had given me carte blanche to do whatever I wanted to do. And so brainstorming a little bit, thinking about drama system and what I would like to do with it, what what sort of genre, what sort of setting would I use uh, to milk that drama system for all it was worth? And I started thinking about telenovelas. Uh, you've got your, it's your, your Mexican soap opera is basically right. what it is. Um, but they're really grandiose and over the top and the plots always twist and turn and there's a lot of gut-wrenching emotional scenes, you know, overwrought melodrama. Uh, and I like that and I wanted to go in that direction, but I also wanted to do one other thing I hadn't seen anyone else do. I mean, maybe, you know, people in the comments can correct me if I'm wrong, but so far, I, no one's ever corrected this statement. I don't think anyone else has, has ever done magic inside drama system, you know, a magic system for drama system. And so that was a challenge I just kind of wanted to do for myself. The other, so the other part, the, the, the magical realism part, because ultimately, I guess you could say Other Borders is, is a crime telenovela set in a southwestern modern town, uh, fused together with uh, the magical realism from which I drew from, uh, really, there's a, there's a broad history of what they call magical realist literature, usually associated with Latin America, started in Mexico and in Latin America. Um, now it's a genre of its own. The idea of magical realism is a work in which the magic stuff is presented with every bit as much realism as the quote-unquote real stuff. But the two realities, although they overlap, sort of like in the real world, never quite fully explain each other. You just have to sort of take the magic for what it is. It happened. You know, it happened. Something inexplicable just happened. And that's a, that's a part of the real world. So I wanted to fuse those two things together. I drew a lot of my research from the works of Carlos Castaneda, 
wrote a series of books about his apprenticeship with a maybe real but probably not real uh, Yaqui Indian shaman named Don Juan Maitlis back in the 70s. And the tremendously bizarre things that happened, the, uh, the drug trips that he went on, uh, assuming the form of other animals or voyaging into the other world, coming back with actual knowledge, tactical, strategic knowledge that could be used in the battle against his enemies. I wanted to milk those two things for all they were worth and tie them together. And so this is what, this is what I came up with. You've got uh, a, a, a small town that's recently been sort of taken over by the Mexican cartels are running drugs up into the United States. You've got a very porous border to the south where there's traffic going back and forth all the time. Um, this is, uh, I mean, this is true, although the rates of immigration, illegal immigration over the border have decreased recently. What has increased is the amount of arms and money going south over that border. I mean, the situation is not as simple as you would hear on the nightly news, right? Right. And so you've got uh, a lot of opportunity for drama and plot between the cartels, border patrol, the cops who are trying to stop the drug flow. You've, you've actually got intelligence agents working double undercover who are moving drugs into the country. On top of that, you've got this small town with its typical small town problems. There's gang violence, there's drug-related crime. But there's also the ancient powers of magic, which are passed down from mentor to apprentice through the generations. They're going back hundreds of years, and that magic is real. So there's your setting. Now, what are you going to get out of that? It depends on who your players are. I mean, if you feel like running a, a crime drama, you know, good guys versus bad guys, uh, or you want to run a a very communal sort of drama where the town has to rise up and maybe there's a, a community activist organization, or maybe there's some priest who begins uh, getting the people motivated to fight against the drug dealers. Uh, or maybe it's about an old versus new, right? You've got a person who lives in the new world is encountering this ancient magic and finding out for the first time it's real. It really depends on who you've got at the table and what sort of drama you're going for, right? Because in order for a drama system game to be useful for more than one go, more than one campaign, you have to build a setting that's got lots of factions and lots of possible ways that that relationship map could be drawn. Mm-hmm. And, and, you, and you provide a pretty good framework there. I mean, you've got the cartels, you've got the gangs, you've got, you know, uh, the... Uh, the uh, uh, not ATF, but the, the Border Patrol. Uh, you have all these different aspects yeah, already set up. And, um, you know, you have the different different types of magic. Um, so there's there's a lot of different things that you can draw on depending on what kind of story that you do want to tell. I mean, you could – everybody could be a gang member or some gang members, cartel members. You could have, you know, players on both sides where, you know, some of them are cartel members, some of them are, are Border Patrol uh, you just to really get at that crux of, like you said, the the drama in that in that story. Absolutely. In my playtest campaign, uh, what what began as a as sort of a straightforward cops versus the cartel, sort of a almost like a tactical campaign, uh, is starting to take a weird turn now because the townspeople who are uh, interested in stopping the flow of drugs through their town have just recruited a, a mestizo magician who, he's a shaman who lives off 
at the reservation at the edge of town. And so now the magic is starting to come into play. And it's interesting when you start out with something sort of realistic and you do that for three sessions and then somebody brings the magic in and the whole thing takes this weird spin. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and it, and it just changes rules. Like you said, it's just, you know, it's daily life, but there's this other aspect that, you know, people either choose to ignore or, you know, haven't encountered and other people who are just completely enmeshed in that part of the world. Yeah, you can have a true reality clash, right? And, and again, that's part of what, I mean, if it's done well, um, you know, magical realist literature sets up this sort of cognitive dissonance in your head where it's like part of you goes, wow, that was poetic and beautiful and it totally happened and I buy it. And the other part of you is going, wait a minute, if he was there, then how could he also be there at the same time? Wait a minute, that's, that, that, that doesn't compute. And at the same time, you have to hold these two realities in your head. That's part of the flavor of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. The, the, the first thing when I first started going through the rules, what, what struck me is it's uh, similar to a certain extent uh, of the urban fantasy that I enjoy, uh, most specifically Charles DeLint. I don't know if you're familiar with his works at all. I'm not. Uh, so he's a, a Canadian author. He's been around for oh uh, quite some time. I have probably half of a bookshelf full of his books, and um, it, it's the same sort of thing. Uh, he does some some of the novels are set you know American Southwest, but they're kind of all over. He has his own little town of Newford in uh, in Canada, and it's the same sort of thing. It's like you know you're going to work every day, and you know you're just kind of going about your business, and then you know this thing happens and it draws the characters into this other world, you know, side by side, sometimes like completely like, okay, I'm in fairyland now or whatever. Uh, and it, it struck me as very similar uh, in substance to that. And it really kind of grabbed my attention when I, you know, first started going through the book, through the, yeah, through the rules. Yeah. I, I really, I really want to bring that out. But most of it, and you could, in fact, play your entire campaign without touching the magic rules at all if you wanted mm-hmm. to. Do a very straightforward, uh, modern-day, Southwest noir kind of a thing. Sure. Um, but when the magic comes in, it gives it this interesting flavor. And the kind of magic, I mean, it's this is not your typical Vancean magic, right? I don't even know how that would work in a drama system game. Because everything here is a narrative move, right? When it's your scene, uh, you are... Uh, let me back up just a little bit because sure. because this isn't straight drama system. There's something really brilliant that um, Tom McGreenery did when he created Melandra's uh, two things. First, he stripped down the the mechanics of drama system. Drama system is is actually a little bit more complex than what's presented here. It uses not only tokens, but tokens of different colors with different meanings depending on the context, and also a deck of cards. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tom took out most of that, leaving the tokens only for the, the single purpose of drama, drama tokens. Uh, when you have a drama token, it's, it's, it's worth a chance to pull something off in a scene that you otherwise might not have been able to pull off. And uh, if other players want to see you do it, they can even chip in additional drama tokens from their stash uh, to help you pull it off. So it's a way of, of sort of seizing control of the narrative on a, on a meta level, right? Uh, and so we, he retained that, but he got rid of most of the other mechanics because they they, they're kind of clunky and they brought a lot of physicality, which sort of takes away from the immersion and the mood, the emotion, the drama that you really want to stay with. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, instead, he brought in a system that I'm, I'm sure your listeners are familiar with. It's a variant of Vincent Baker's Powered by the Apocalypse system. So you've got that three degrees of success, right? You've got your full success, your partial success, and your, uh-oh, you're in trouble kind of, kind of result. Mm-hmm. And because so many people are already familiar with the power by the apocalypse system, although this is slightly different, he uses only one die, but the mechanics are basically the same. Uh, when you are doing something magical, you are the rules. And, you know, again, consider that power by the apocalypse moves. They're always stated uh, in terms of growing out of the fiction. Like when, when you do this, and then these narrative results point back into the fiction and force something to happen. So rather than a simple, did you succeed or did you not? Did the fireball explode in his face or did it not? It becomes more of a, um, what trippy, meaningful, and dramatic thing happens? Uh, But then also there's a chance of the partial success where the trippy thing happens, but it's not all good for you. When writing for drama system, you you need to create something that's always going to point back into the fiction the next person who's seen it is, is probably going to need to respond to that. And you want to give them something really dramatic or meaningful to respond to. So the music, the, the magic has a, has a, no two spells are the same quality to it. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. even the same spell cast by a different person could have a completely different effect on the game. Sure. Yeah, and and that would you know sort of speak to the intention of the caster and you know their their perception of the world and and how the you know the character's background is shaped things like that. Absolutely, all the magic is is really kind of subjective, and it leaves it in the it leaves it in the hands of the player who's doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, which, if you if you played Apocalypse World, it's you know it's a little bit like the psychic maelstrom, right? When a, when a player enters the psychic maelstrom, the GM is supposed to just look at them and say, "Well, what is it like for you?" Right. You tell me how it works. Yep, that's that's very cool. The other thing it reminds me of is, uh, you know, with the degrees of success, is uh, the um, Edge of the Empire, uh, the new uh, Edge of the Empire uh, Star Wars game, uh-huh. where they have the, uh, you, you know, fantasy flights. So, hey, we're going to make special dice. But, you know, you can... Uh, fail and get advantage or you can succeed and have threat. So it, it, it does kind of run that gamut. It's not just, yes, I hit it's yes, I hit, but you know, I trip or, you know, this crate falls down or, you know, here comes the guy's reinforcements or whatever it is. Yeah. And whoever's, whoever's at the table at that time, whoever's basically either whoever's seen it is, or if they're accepting the ideas from the, from someone else at the table, that, that's up to them too. But uh, basically, the scene caller has got narrative control at that moment, you know, in the in the meta game, because a narrativist game always has a meta level to it. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, in, in in the meta level, you become the author as well as the character at that moment, and the game sort of pushes you to go for the most dramatic thing that could possibly happen. But as far as how that happens, it's totally up to you. Right, and and I, you know, this type of game is not for every player uh you know people who are geared more towards traditional gaming uh you know those types of games you know D specifically you know focuses more on you know what they would term in, in drama system a procedural scene you know i hit it with my sword i roll my dice you know do, do i succeed or not 
right. where you know storytelling games and, and drama system you know is focuses more on the dramatic scenes those you know interpersonal relationships and, and all those different things so you know, if it's something that you're looking to get into, you kind of have to judge your players and, you know, GMs know what their players like. Um, so if you think that your players would be into that sort of thing, like if you enjoy playing Fiasco, this would be a good game for you. Yeah, yeah. I think that, well, thanks to the the mechanics is sort of flavored by the apocalypse. Or If you've played a PBTA game and you liked it, there's a good chance you'll like this. It's sort of like, You've already stepped into the realm where the players get a little more narrative control, right? So mm. this is like a second step. It's not the gateway drug, but the second gateway <laughs> drug. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a the genre is ensemble, right? If you think of if you think of TV series like uh, Weeds, um, where there's multiple POV characters. They all have their own storyline going on, but they interweave with each other in complex ways. And they all, there's always a, you know, a, a double cross, a, a, a betrayal. Somebody turns out to be sleeping with somebody else who you thought they were enemies. Uh, there's these dramatic twists and turns, and every character has their own through line, but they're interwoven in, in emotional ways. So it's an ensemble piece, and it's really an ensemble game. I think you're, you're on to something there. If you've got the kind of players who really appreciate the role-play part of role-playing, that is that I am my character and I totally know exactly what clothes I wear and what I look like. And here's how I talk. And this is the effect I have on the story around me. Then these, this kind of approach is going to feel natural to you. Right. Uh, and if you're, if you're more of a gamist or a simulationist player, this may feel a little bit weird. Yeah. And I think that's cool to a certain extent, because then it, it sort of takes you out of your comfort zone and it, it gives you a different perspective and a new kind of way. So, you know, if you come to something like this and you're like, I don't know, it makes me uncomfortable. That's not necessarily a bad thing. And, oh yeah, that's true. You know, There's no rule that, that said uh, value always comes with pleasure. Mm -hmm. And and then you can, so even if you played one session, you're like, you know what? Uh, this is too weird for me, but you can maybe take that back to your D and D game or your shadow run game. And it just, you know, gives you a little bit of a touchstone when it comes to those you know, what you'd consider almost an interstitial scene then, you know, in a D&D &D game, you know, your downtime, your, yeah. you know, your whatever, where you can, you know, you know, kind of dig into your character a little bit then. Yeah, that's a good point. These scenes do happen in, in even in the most traditionalistic games. There was, you know, in my long running AD&D campaign from way back in the 80s, some of the most memorable moments, you know, the dice never hit the table. Mm -hmm. um, so we, I mean, even traditionalist players know what I'm talking about. It's just that the ratio is reversed and that's actually where most of the story comes from. And the dice only hit the table once in a while. Mm -hmm. For sure. Um, another thing that I've noticed and, uh, you know, again, people in the comments are, are free to argue with me on this, but I think it can almost be accepted as a truism that the people who tend to like or be good at your more narrativist kind of games often have GM experience themselves hmm. because they're more accustomed to being responsible for the meta level and for thinking in terms of more than one character. Like I'm not just in this for me, I'm in this for what's going to create the most interesting resounding table 
as like like a gestalt across all the heads around the table. Right. Well, and they're used to wearing all those different hats and really, you know, kind of generating story or at least, you know, throwing threads out to the players and say, hey, here you go. You know, where are we going to go from here? Yeah. In fact, uh, maybe uh, this is a weird analogy I just thought of. I'm not sure if it works, but I'm going to throw it out there. <laughs> it's like a it's like a, a GM game where everybody is the GM and they're all playing a GM NPC all at the same time. <laughs> That's what it is. Very meta. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so originally you were saying this was this was uh, an expansion for uh, Melandros, um, which I guess is it's not necessarily the same setting. This is like early Melandros is early 1900s, where this is you know you know sort of like modern day. Um, when you were looking at it, you know when most people play RPGs. You know, they're playing because they want to get away. They want to disconnect they, or, you know, kind of to connect to their friends, but, you know, sort of disconnect from the outside world. Uh, you know, going through this, you, it, it almost reads as, you know, like a, you know, a, a current U.S. history, you know, sort of going through. And, you know, obviously some of the stuff is made up, but, you know, the the drug traffic and, and guns coming in and crime and, and gangs and all these things. Was there any trepidation at all of, taking something so real and, you know, kind of putting it out for people to play. I mean, obviously there's magic, but you know, that base reality is, is very cutting, especially for people out here in the Southwest. Yeah. Um, you know what? I, no, because I did a lot of research and uh, my intention is, is to present, these are the facts of reality as it is. My reasoning behind that was I, I knew I wanted there to be cartels and gangs in this game, right? But all I knew about cartels and gangs came from movies like Colors, uh, Once Upon a Time in Mexico, um, or again, the TV series Weeds. This was all filtered by this, this media lens. And I could have just stuck with the media lens, but then I'm thinking as a player, I'm going, well, as a player, let's say I want to be a dude in the cartel. But I have to make all this up? Like, don't cartels have real names for this? I mean, wouldn't I know how cartels work at least a little bit? Wouldn't right. I know how gangs work at least a little bit? And I mean, I want the players to have a lot of narrative control. And I want them to, you know, get as colorful as possible with the characters and the relationships and the drama and the magic. Um, but there are real-world facts about how cartels work and what drugs are worth and how Border Patrol does its job, and those are all real things, and I didn't want to force people to have to research that or uh, pull up Wikipedia at the game table or know it themselves. So I put that in there, and I just try to remain true to whatever side I'm talking about. I try to remain true to a very simple, stripped-down version of what they're all about. I mean, where I live, I live... In, in Las Vegas. I live in East Las Vegas, uh, specifically. Um, I live in a Mexican neighborhood. El Dia de Muerte is a bigger holiday than Halloween is mm -hmm. here in my neighborhood. Uh, I speak a lot of Spanish. I, uh, I, am a, uh, I don't want to say an aficionado, because that sounds really snobby, but uh, I've been a longtime fan of writers like Carlos Castaneda and 
the literary genre of magical realism as a whole, which again draws from its Latin American roots quite a bit. Uh, and so on both a literary level and on a realist level, I just wanted to be true to the material. I'll tell you where I did feel trepidation though. I felt that if I wasn't true enough to the material, uh, I would be attacked as a cultural appropriationist. Mm. That, that was actually my biggest concern. And I hope that I've allayed that in the, in the content. Sure. As, as someone who's new to the Southwest, like I said, reading through, it was like, you know, reading through a, you know, it could be the newspaper, like a current event section. So I, you know, as, as far as being, um, about, you know, kind of what happens. Cause I'm down here in Southern Arizona. I'm not that far from the border at all. Um, you know, it, it's, it's just, it was like, wow, you know, this is, this is like the real deal. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was interviewed by Bree Sheldon, and uh, she asked, uh, I forget the exact wording of the question, but she basically said, you know, like you did, did you have any trepidation about raising so fraught a topic? And at the time she was asking us, I think it was just shortly before the elections, and you got Donald Trump talking about his wall and all. And that wasn't in my mind at all, because I wrote the game, like, over the course of the last year, Right. And I wasn't thinking about Donald Trump or his wall or <laughs> anything like that. And uh, I didn't realize until after the interview was published, that was what she meant. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a very touchy subject, especially these days. <laughs> well, it, it can be. But then again, I mean, it depends on who you have at your table, right? It's one of the one of the threads that's running through my playtest campaign is like sort of a, um, an impromptu grassroots uprising of the townspeople who are banding together to try to rid their town of these drug lords. And now magic is coming into it, but it's, it's becoming less about the cops and more about the people. Mm -hmm. I mean, and I'm sure with different players, it, it could go a totally different way. Right. Right. And then, um, you know, because of the, the strong, you know, storytelling aspect of the game that you really need, you know, when you're going to sit down and start, you know, not only have that conversation about, you know, what the players expect. And I mean, that's just, you know, good GMing and whatever. Um, but you need to have all the players at the table because character creation is, you know, uh, a web of interconnection between all the characters and literally and that give and take. Yeah. So if you want to talk about that a little bit. Well, this is this is standard drama system stuff. And, um, and again, if you've played in, you know, Apocalypse World or most of the PBTA games, then you're somewhat familiar with this idea that by the time Caragen is up, and, and Caragen is going to be involved, you, know, you sometimes devote a whole session just to character generation. And that's fine, because all of the drama and ideas that are going to, you know, really heartstring pulling, gut-wrenching, my whole fate of my future rides on this, you know, dilemma and everything is going to come from the relationships you draw up in that initial session. So it's worth it to take your time. And as a group, you go around and, and create relationships between yourself and the players to your left and right. So there's, before you're even out of the gate, there's already, you know, tension and loyalty and trust and distrust. Everybody needs something from somebody else at the table. And we're gonna figure out who gets what they need 
by play, you know. Right. And that, you know, that all goes back to the drama. Um, did you, do you find, and I'm not super familiar with, with drama system, um, but I know that, you know, with the drama tokens, you can, you know, sort of cash in, you know, two or three and, and sort of force, you know, a player from a standpoint. It's like, you know, you get that interaction. Like, oh, I need you to, um, you know, to do whatever. And then the player like, no, I don't want to do that. And they're like, okay, well, here's two tokens. So I say that you do it. Um, do you find that creates uh, tension outside of the game? I, I don't know if you've played, a, I guess you've played enough drama system to be, you know, familiar enough to write a whole game about it. Um, it. It seems, you know, as a player and, you know, we're all very provincial about, you know, our, my, you know, it's what my character would do. Um, do. Do you find that that kind of, you know, breaks that social contract to a certain extent? There is, there's a fine line there. There absolutely, or maybe I should say there's a, there's a blurry line there. <laughs> and, uh, and it definitely depends on the, uh, the the individual people that you have sitting around the table. Their you know their personality types and their their openness, their willingness to go along with stuff. Um, I I will tell you this: when you talked about like trepidation earlier, that part of the rules, which again is pretty much standard drama system, um, Tom retained it, although he he did strip it down a little bit. Uh, and I retained it as well because there are moments where I can see it becoming mechanically necessary. That said, I, I almost never see the drama tokens actually pulled out and used. And it's just been my experience. Every time I play it, people like to get them. It's like, Ooh, another little shiny <laughs> thing for me. Right. Um, but then they almost kind of forget that they have them and nobody, I've never seen it get antagonistic. Uh, you know, someone will throw a drama token if they want to be really sure this happens. And I've never seen anybody really argue with that. I've never seen it get antagonistic, although there are quite complex rules for what to do if it gets antagonistic. That's the, that part of the rules always did give me a little bit of trepidation. I mean, I know why they're there, but I'm glad that they, I've never had to whip them out. Now, another thing is that Drama system, uh, as let me say, the Melandros branch of drama system uh, does have a GM, and and it's a fairly strong GM role. So it's if if we've given people the impression that the the GM uh, is a completely distributed thing, well, we should back up because the, the powers of the GM are distributed, but there's still one primary. GM and the GM has moves just like in Apocalypse World and a lot of PBTA games. There's a list of GM moves. When when everybody looks at you like, well, what happens next? The GM makes a GM move. And if things got to the point where two players are really at loggerheads and they, they can't talk it out, see, usually talking it out works. And, mm -hmm. and, and kind of people forget that using their tokens against each other. I, I don't really, I don't see that happening a lot. I see people using their token for themselves, right? But I don't see a lot of people using tokens against each other. But even if it did come down to that, there is a GM and the GM can always say, okay, here's the way it goes. Right. So they use it for themselves. So it's more of a, you know, in an NPC scenario, it's like, well, I, I really want this guy to do this thing for me. And there's less of a, 
you know, maybe less of a pushback if the, you know, if it moves the story along and then the GM's like, okay, you know, he goes and does it. Yeah. And I stress that even more when it comes to magic, because when, when you're trying to make a magical effect happen, uh, you know, the last thing you want is for it to fizzle out. You're, you've established, you know, whatever you're praying for, shooting for, going for. You've, you may have taken some hallucinogenic drug. You may have built an altar. You may have done prayer for nine days. And this is, whatever it is, it's pretty important to you. And right. uh, you have the capability to use the drama tokens. You also have the capability to expend poder. Poder is power, your magic power. Uh, in order to push things. And uh, again, just like that drama tokens, it gives you an extra ability to grab the plot at that moment and turn it the way you need it to turn. Mm -hmm. And and characters who are, I, I forget, is, does every character have a certain amount of put air to start with, or is that only the magical characters? Only the magical characters do. You can, you can gain it, um, but if you're not a magical character, it's, it's sort of rare and accidental that you gain it. My, uh, my description of how it works is it's like normal people uh, have it, but don't know how to consciously use it. Mm -hmm. um, whereas if you're trained in the magical arts, you know not only how to consciously use it, but also how to acquire more. Um, but, you know, we've all heard stories about inexplicable feats of strength, you know. Uh, an old lady lifts a jeep to save a baby, you know. That mm -hmm. kind of, that kind of, and just like nobody knows how she did it, but she lifted a jeep, for Christ's sake. Right. But something magical happened at that moment. She somehow tapped into her magical ability. Mm-hmm. Or the guy, you know, who's just like super lucky, like he, you know, always finds money on the ground or, he, you know, wins a couple bucks on a lottery or, you know, whatever weird thing always happens, you know, he's, you know, kind of attributed to that as well. Yeah. If you're not a magic uh, uh, user in, in the game, then uh, even if you did gain a point of Poder and spend it, um, and the rules do touch on this, it should be spent kind of on the meta level. You know, that um, let's say you're you're the you're supplicating yourself to someone in order for them to grant you a favor and you need to make some sort of role and you want to be able to push it so that they they do the favor for you. Uh, it should be played off on the meta level. Like at that moment, something something from their deep past touches them in a way that they haven't felt for years and they agree. Uh, something kind of magical and inexplicable happens, right? Because if you're not, because if, if you're not trained in recognizing it, it just sort of, it just sort of happens. So if you spend a point on the meta level, but you're you're not, a, your character is not a magician, then your character doesn't know why it happened. Mm -hmm. You as a writer, right? You as an author know why it happened, but as far as the story is concerned, hey, sometimes weird shit just happens. Yeah, <laughs> and I and I can see spending the drama tokens too, because uh, you know some of the you know the magical thing. It's like, hey, uh, you know, you're you know you light a candle and you're and you know you're in prayer and meditation for you know hours or you know uh, over the course of like a week or whatever. You know, you're you're you know trying to accomplish all these different things. So there's you know there's a big in time investment for the character to to bring a, uh, bring about. Uh, you know, magical actions. Absolutely. That's when you want to, you know, pull out all the stops, even if you end up, you know, tiring yourself. Mm -hmm. 
No, it's uh, it it's it seems like a very cool system. Um, yeah, it it hooked me right from the get go between the the uh, you know the realism of the of the story, and then it's um, you know for me the you know the affiliation with sort of the urban fantasy and stuff. It seems like it'd be just a, a, a tremendous amount of fun to play. Why, I certainly hope that you find that to be true. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I find that's a lot of fun to play. And, I, and, you know, again, Tom gave me sort of carte blanche, like, you know, I would like you to do an expansion. And, and I had so much fun doing the expansion that I really just wanted to make it available to people who weren't part of the Melandros Kickstarter. And that's why this new release is out. And by the way, um, the print edition, uh, I've got the galley coming to me. It would have been great to actually have have it here. I could I could turn on my camera and show you. The physical version is not out yet. It should be out with. Where are we? What's the date today? The fourth. Uh, the fourth. Yep. It should it should be out by mid January, um, but right now the PDF is available at Drive Through and RPG now. Yep, and we have a link in the show notes for that as well, so people can go check that out there. Uh, do you have any other things that you've been working on lately that you said you've been working on this for the last year or so? Do you have any other things in the works? Oh boy. I got so much stuff in the works. I've got, <laughs> I've got a plethora of Patreon projects. Um, I run a, I, I don't know if you know this, but I, I, I run a site on the side called Fictioneers, fictioneers.net. And it's just, it's a directory of uh, indie games, small press, uh, both traditional and story games. Um, but mostly small press and indie games. Most of them are free. And uh, it's got a couple different rating systems. It's got a crunchiness rating system and whether the game uses a GM or not. And then uh, a place for people to leave comments. There's not a lot of people leave comments. But right now, there's something like 300 games in there. And uh, that's what I kind of do on the side is maintaining that. So uh, if you might want to go out to fictioneers.net, all you game developers out there, game designers. Um, see if your game or if you're a GM or a player, see if your favorite game's in there. If it's not, go ahead and sign up. The account is free. I have a Patreon going for that, so I can keep the site advertising free. And uh, so if you could help out that way, that would be great. Or if you want to help out by typing in the data on some of your favorite indie games, let's grow that database. It just takes you a minute and it costs you nothing. So that would be cool. And if you want to support Day Trippers or any of my other work, like I said at the top of the of the podcast, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash as if, and you can link to all my stuff from there. What about now? Ha ha, oh, I am whoa. muted. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Thanks. The cat is on my lap and must have sat on the little button that controls my microphone. <laughs> uh, okay, so does that mean... Does that mean I was actually on air the whole time? I, I believe you were on air because I could hear you like shuffling papers. I saw you mute and unmute and I'm going, oh, no, I have to edit things now. <laughs> you do. You have to edit things now. But I don't have uh, to repeat myself. That's, uh, I, that's well, good. The, right. So I don't know if you heard the last question I asked then was, uh, aside from your other Borders campaign, uh, or is there any other RPGs that you're currently playing? Any board gaming that you're doing? Uh, oh no! Actually, I haven't. I haven't played in a couple months. Um, I'm writing. I'm writing. I'm 
I, you know what? Okay, I'm going to go ahead and say it because it's, you can find it on my on my Patreon. Uh, the next big project from Azure Productions is uh, right now. It's called uh, Ubiquitous City, and it will be a source book for near future campaigns. Um, uh, the setting involves a uh, postmodern city that's completely smart, i.e., a ubiquitous computing city. It's something that we all have. Uh, you know, we we hear about the future is going to be smart cities and ubiquitous computing, and uh, everything's going to be live in the cloud. We're going to have AIs and robots, and what's that going to be like? Well, that's that's what I intend to answer. So I'm, I'm doing a lot of. Doing a lot of <laughs> that's how we get Skynet. <laughs> Do you want Skynet? Because that's how we get Skynet. I know, I know. I'm trying to present a positive spin on it, though. <laughs> well, that sounds interesting. Skynet is your friend, right? <laughs> <laughs> Until it's not. <laughs> yeah. So I've been doing a lot of research, um, and this is partly uh, for day trippers because day trippers, of course, takes place 100 years in the future. Um, but also, as, I, as I've been working on it, it's, it's grown into uh, both a, a source book and a, an anthology of short stories. So I'm collaborating with some other people on that, and it's turned into a much larger project. All right, cool. Well, that's never a bad thing. Well, as you say, it's never a bad thing, but I guess it could be a, <laughs> I guess it could be a headache to coordinate everything. It's, it's definitely a hat that I've never worn before. Um, mm -hmm. But one of my, uh, really, my only resolution for 2017 is to start publishing work by other people. So, uh, you know, that's one of my goals is, you know, from when I talk to you a year from now, <laughs> the, yep. as if, the As If Productions publishing imprint will have some other authors under its belt. That's my, that's my resolution. Cool. That's a very cool goal for the new year. Um, let's see. I guess I don't really have anything else. The way this day ended really kind of <laughs> threw me for a loop. <laughs> I'm sorry. And then your and then your cat mutes your microphone, right? Well, he is kind of a dick. I think we've we've probably established that over the course of uh, 85 episodes. <laughs> Isn't Mercury retrograde? I think Mercury is retrograde right now. That's what it is. It could be. It could be. Uh, we do have uh, to lead us out here our final five questions, and now, Gordon, oh. you, you've gone through the first batch, so uh, I've got a, a second batch here. We can we can run you through these. Oh, talk about trepidation. Yeah. <laughs> All right. The first one is book or Kindle. Book. Always right. Sure. Yeah, yeah. It, For it's so not, many reasons. Ah, the, just the, the physical, to hold it, to smell it, to be able to pull it off the shelf and, like, flip through it and not have to turn a device on and, yeah. And dog ear it, highlight it, make memories based on it. Oh, no, 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 you can't highlight it and dog ear it. <laughs> you lost me. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a bit of an extremist. I form such a personal relationship with my books. It's like my own body. I have the right to tattoo it. <laughs> As someone uh, um, uh, at Imperial Scum, uh, Danny on, on Twitter, uh, she had posted up a picture of her, I think it was her GM's guide or player's handbook, all highlighted in different colors. I was like, oh, no. That's exactly it. I not only highlight, I highlight according to a color scheme. I, my GMG actually has little paper tabs. Okay, I take tabs on the, all the different sections. Mm-hmm. This is a highly modified book here. 
the user interface design has been modded is what I'm saying. Can't do that with a PDF. <laughs> Can't do that with a PDF, man. All right. Uh, board games or RPGs? RPGs. Yeah. For, well, yeah. I, I'm, I've been super into board games lately, but yeah. That, that's a tough choice. I, I see them as like, completely different kinds of experiences. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm a kind of a cerebral person. I'm a theater of the mind guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for me, I like the like the quicker, like filler game type stuff. So something that plays in you know 15 minutes or a half an hour, as opposed to you know epic. We're gonna play this board game for seven hours because at that point, like I'd rather play D and D. <laughs> well, yeah, and and I think um, as a compromise, and not just me, but a, a lot of designers, I would say a, a, a huge trend, even uh, even among traditional designers and obviously among narrativist designers, has been more and more people designing a, a, a good one-shot. Uh, a game that runs really nicely in four hours, and then even if you never play it again, you'd be happy with what happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And, it, and it's a good way to get a feel for a system, too. Um, you know, you grab something, you... You know, you play for four hours or, you know, you get an opportunity to play something at a convention. It kind of gives you a feel for, you know, how that system's going to run and, you know, whether it's something, you know, you think you'd enjoy or your players would enjoy. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Day Trippers, for instance, is written to be episodic and literally follow the curve of a, of a TV show. You mm -hmm. know, a one hour long episode with four quarters in it. Right. Right. Give you that narrative arc and that resolution. Uh, mm -hmm. So that you can go home feeling like, uh, uh, even if you haven't finished a campaign, you know, you're going to string these together, but feeling like something has resolved. Right. You need that sense of accomplishment when you go yeah. home. Yep. All right. Doctor Who or Firefly? Firefly. Okay. Even with only one season? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I may get some flack for this, but I've never been really big on Doctor Who. Firefly, on the other hand... Um, you know, I, as I've intimated earlier in the podcast, that sort of ensemble drama hits me where I live. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, this one's probably a no-brainer, and I probably need to come up with another question, but hack and slash or role play? Well, for sure it's role play. Hack and slash is yeah. good when you're drunk. <laughs> so, you know, give the devil his due. Um but again, theater of the mind stuff, you know, and not that I wouldn't play any other, I'd play all kinds of games, you know, I mean, I've, I've written, I've written for Iron Crown, okay, like the, the crunchiest of the crunch. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I got no problem with, with different systems for different purposes, different play groups, different styles, I, I want to play them all, but the games that I personally, that, you know, that stick in my head the most, that I feel most proud of or most happy that I participated in is, is really deep, immersive role play with a lot of bleed, a lot of emotion. Hmm. Okay. This isn't one of the questions, but, but to follow up with that, uh, do you find that you GM more or do you end up playing more? Oh, I GM, yeah, 90% of the time, probably yeah. more. Yeah. Okay. Is that just for lack of someone who wants to run a game or do you just feel more comfortable? There's, there's a lot of reasons. I mean, I've been a professional game designer since 88 when I sold my first adventure module in 88 to Iron Crown. So uh, at the time, you know, I had 
a, a regular group of friends and the GM duties would would sort of rotate. Although even back then I did GM more often, but at least I played like at least a quarter of the time I was a player. And as soon as I got published, that that changed. <laughs> uh, part of it was that I was more interested in working, running, play testing, getting the next product out. Part of it is, I think, honestly, you know, a lot of people have imposter syndrome. I'm here to tell you, don't have imposter syndrome because I was just a fan of Iron Crown and I wrote a fan letter to Terry Amthor and I said, hey, would you like to see some of my shit? And he said, yeah, I didn't say it like that. But um, really, I mean, the difference between, especially these days, desktop publishing, PDF publishing, you know, the difference between a, a professional game designer and and just a GM who wrote something, there's really no difference. It's a blurry line. So mm -hmm. go ahead and jump across that line because you all, we all started somewhere. Right. And, and uh, Wizards is, is, you know, with the uh, release of fifth edition has kind of, you know, extended a hand in that regard with the, um, was it the Dungeon Masters Guild, uh, where you can, you know, post up and, and sell all different kinds of things through the site now. Um, I think that's what it's called. I can't remember. Well, again, oh. you know, more democracy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I, I, that's that's fantastic because it, it, it just, you know, sort of opens it up because, you know, I I think, I'll, you know, at least most of the people that I played with have all, for the most part, have run some sort of a sandbox campaign or, you know, even if they had a module, it was loosely based on that module. So, you know, there's a, a you know, super creative you know, group out there that have been playing for, you know, 30, 40 years. So uh, it's nice to be able to to see them acknowledged and, and you know, kind of that olive branch, you know, at least from the D&D aspect. Uh, Absolutely. And, you know, again, I think that that, uh, that imposter syndrome is a terrible thing and you should just go ahead and get over it. But that's really where the line is drawn, in my experience. Everybody can, can cross that line. But once you do, um, you may find that you're invited to play in other people's campaigns a lot less, although you'll probably be asked to GM a lot more. Right. So that's, that's going to happen to you as you become closer and closer to quote unquote professional, whatever that means. Right. Right. Well, and it's the same thing with Kickstarter too, as well. Uh, that, that line between, you know, between the professional designer and, Hey, I, made a game and I play tested it and my friends like it. And, you know, I've, you know, taken it to my local game store and, you know, I can be on Kickstarter now and I can have this thing made and get it out in the wild. Yeah. And, and I can get depressed by my miserable sales <laughs> <laughs> and uh, all the things that happen to professionals. Yeah. <laughs> right. All right, and our last question here is: If you could be one supernatural creature, what would it be? Ooh! Wow! A rakshasa. Ooh! Because they're just I, so cool. They are very cool. <laughs> I had a character in my AD and D campaign uh, who, it, it, through some bizarre confluence of the dice and the gods, became a rakshasa. Really? And I let him do it. Because I'm that kind of GM. <laughs> Fascinating stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's what I would want to be. That's cool. How did that play out in game? Uh, well, 
let's just throw the word balance right out the window. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I ran a campaign that uh, as soon as I, I guess I want to blame Chaosium for the for the Thieves World books in the City of Sanctuary, because as soon as that worked its way into my campaign, which I loved and got so much use out of it, it's that's still the greatest city supplement ever made. Um, but it also brought this element of the gods being like right in your face, directly involved in the affairs of humans. And of course, my players read all those books as soon as they came out, just as I did. And so they all wanted to participate on that level. And I had one player who was an avatar of a god, and he was best friends with the, the hellhound Tempest. And yeah, I mean, they all had to get in. So it became a really, really super high powered deity driven campaign real fast. Right. Well, and that's a different. I mean, it's a different game than you know. Hey, you guys all meet at the uh, at the inn and you know, oh, yeah. go out and you know, do your thing. No, that's, that that sounds like it would be uh, an interesting game. Uh, it, uh, hard to balance, I suppose. You don't even try to balance anymore. But in a way, <laughs> uh, in a way, I think that's where again, because a lot of even back then in those days, even playing AD and D, the most memorable sessions were like basically improv role play that psychological stuff that we would come up with and pull on each other this stuff went both ways because as a gm i like it i like nothing better than when my players completely surprise me mm -hmm. and i got to do some quick thinking to figure out how to even incorporate this um i love that and it goes both ways and so you end up you and your friends in a completely imaginary conceptual territory saying stuff that makes you <laughs> feel things that are like superhuman. Oh man. Mm -hmm. I, I can't even finish that sentence. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, it's, it's very cool. I mean, I, I used to listen to a ton of podcasts and I've, I've really kind of limited what I'm listening to these days, but they're still, you know, and some of them are just funny and, you know, some of it's just jackassery at the table and then some games you listen to and it just, you know, it, whatever it is, it just grabs you. Yeah. And, you know, that's, it's, it's such a, a cool thing to be a part of that, even just, you know, as a listener, not someone at the table, to be able to sort of experience all the things that, you know, the people at the table are experiencing. Because you're, you know, experiencing, I guess, on a somewhat different level because you're not involved. But to be... Uh, you know, sort of in tune with what's going on with the characters and the flow of the game. It's, it's, it's a really cool byproduct of the hobby, I think. Yeah, and as a GM, I'd say, at least in my style of GMing, it's, it's not that I'm not involved. It's true that I can shift from one NPC to another. But these really powerful, emotional, dramatic scenes that happen, although they, they do often happen player to player, they, they also often happen, at least for me, player to NPC. And uh, my, my players would form deep and complex relations with their NPCs. Uh, and so in a way, uh, you know, the GM gets that, that immersive feeling of being that other person. Mm -hmm. uh, because while you're acting out this scene, you're not going to jump out of Captain Vera's head and into somebody else's head. You're going to play Captain Vera for this scene. And the, the brotherhood, the kinship, the uh, the risk of betrayal all of these are are just as real as as the players feeling it 
mm-hmm. while that's while that's going on. Again, the most the most effective games for me have always been at, you know really bleedy. And so I'm, I'm always aiming for that. Um, Day Trippers has actually rules for trying to elicit psychically charged content from the player, stuff that they actually have an emotional connection to or a true feeling about in order to sort of dress it up and introduce it back at them, mirror it back at them. And that's, that creates a, like a, like a little bubble reality of its own, right? <laughs> the whole rest of the world falls away because what's happening is capital M meaningful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when, and when players are fully engaged like that and they are, uh, you know, in touch with, you know, other NPCs and things like that, it gives you a way, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but it gives you a way to, to then manipulate them. Uh, you're inside their head for sure. The, yeah. the, the grand illusion of the player is that I have carte blanche to act how, however I wish because it's not me, it's my PC. But the psychological truth that GM knows is that nothing comes out of your head that isn't you, okay? Mm-hmm. So you are acting out in this way with this flavor, this role, this class, this set of skills or whatever, but you're still the one that chose it. You're still the one who, who generated the, out of all the things you could have been or could have said or could have done at this moment in the game, this is what you chose to do. So you are in fact displaying your yourself very deeply. And I've long said that in a, in a, if we lived in a sane world, a GM should have a therapist's license. <laughs> Right, because you really should have some conscientiousness, uh, respect, and the the best of intentions, with 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 uh, no, no willingness to do any harm that no one would want. Like some people want to be scared, right? And some people want to have their buttons pushed, and some people want to act out vicariously. That's you know, like hack and slash is all about. Dude. But. Uh, make sure that's where they want to go. And then if that's where they want to go, go there with them, help them go there because everybody, no matter what their favorite depth is, everybody wants the deepest thing they can imagine. Right. Uh, I think that it's, there is definitely something psychotherapeutic uh, in, in not only in role playing in general, uh, but also in the techniques available to a good GM who is conscientious and has the player's real psychology in mind. Mm-hmm. Well, and it, I, you know, it, I think it is very cathartic to play. Like even if it's just a hack and slash game, you know, if you're, you know, I, I work in a lab, so it's very tedious. It's you know very boring every day doing the same thing over and over. But you know, for four hours, I can slay dragons and and you know be the the center of attention or you know whatever whatever i need to get out of it for that evening uh you know i i can do that and then you know just the inherent camaraderie of you know being at the table or you know now with you know google hangouts and roll 20 and all these different things you can you you can hang out with people from all over the place so i'm in arizona you're in las vegas right now and you know, it, it, you could just as easily be sitting here. Like it's just an easy conversation and, and without even any video tonight. <laughs> sure. And, you know, and that's one of the great things about this hobby is that like, I, I mean, at the, at the greatest, you gain all that deep psychic stuff that I was talking about earlier, but at the very least, 
you get catharsis and a little social uh, interaction. You get a little, little kick of dopamine going on. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. At the very least, you get that. Yep, for sure. That's a good investment. Absolutely. <laughs> and one, I think we all need more than we're willing to admit. Right. Absolutely. All right, I, that's all I have. It was a, a pleasure to have you on again and, and get a chance to just, you know, talk and, and BS and, and, and find out about your new project and, and help to get the, you know, spread the word out there so people come and, and check that out and, you know, uh, kind of find out, you know, what's kind of games that they like and then, you know, whether or not other borders is something that, you know, people would like to get into and then give, a, you know, give it a shot. I thank you for the opportunity. It's always great talking to you. And I love your radio voice. Did people tell you that? You I have never voice. heard that because yeah. I hate it myself. <laughs> yeah. no, I, I think you got a good radio voice. For well, thank sure. you. I appreciate it's enjoyable. That. It's enjoyable being on the other end of this radio voice. <laughs> so well, I thank, thank you. you. <laughs> yeah. no, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I wish other people would, would come and say that or the fact that they hated it. If, if we could, like you said, the people are, are reticent to come and leave comments. So, uh, you know, we kind of operate in a vacuum to a certain extent. I think you're doing a great job. Did I answer all five questions? Was that five? Yes. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the, the creature thing was the last one. All right. Awesome. Well, everybody go if you want to give out all the details again. Uh, yeah, thanks very much. Everybody can, well, you can go to asitproductions.com and whatever I've been, you know, posting about lately will always be up there. But currently from there, you can get to patreon.com slash as if, and all my projects are up there. If, if, if I do anything that you find enjoyable or interesting or would like to see more of, then please throw money at me because I don't do Kickstarters. I, I don't like holding my work for ransom, but that doesn't mean I don't need your help. So come on, check it out. That's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We'll have links to everything in the show notes. So uh, everybody can go ahead and check that out. That would be fantastic. If uh, you appreciate Todd's work, then absolutely go over and, and check the Patreon and, you know, leave a couple of bucks there. I have a couple of Patreons that I support myself. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it helps out, uh, you know, artists, authors game designers musicians all that stuff you know they're they're out there doing good and you know for everybody that enjoys all of those different things it's uh you know it's a very cool way to uh you know to uh, in a very real sense support projects that you do like and uh you know that's a, a fantastic thing directly and to interact with the artists and if there's anyone in the world who doesn't know what patreon is to go to patreon Absolutely. <laughs> it, uh, I'll give out all of our stuff here. So uh, you can find this awesome interview and all of our other cool stuff at legendsoftabletop.com. If you have any questions, comments, or that super critical feedback, you can reach us at legendsoftabletop at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at legends underscore of underscore tabletop. Uh, we're on Twitter at legends tabletop. 
we have a Tumblr that's connected to the page and a Google Plus page. Uh, we're on iTunes and SoundCloud and Player FM and all those cool things. So uh, you can find us all over. Just stick us into Google and you'll find something cool, I'm sure. Uh, we appreciate everybody checking this out and we'll catch you next time. This podcast is a proud member of the Legends of Tabletop Broadcast Network. For more gaming-related content, please visit www.legendsoftabletop.com.